another episode of Power Move Makers. This series was created with a simple goal in mind. Bring to the table high-level executives, successful entrepreneurs, and just all-around inspiring human beings. Not just focusing on their successes, but more important, shining a spotlight on the road they traveled to get there. Now, this week's guest, I've been a longtime fan of his. I wanted to get him on for some time now. It took me a minute, but we finally did it, stayed persistent. And I've been a fan of his for a couple of reasons. Number one, he has a non-traditional career. And I think it's important to bring entrepreneurs to the table that are very non-traditional in their approach to going out there and succeeding. But also, he's giving back. He's helping in the form of his YouTube channel, really teaching people how to get into YouTube and create a business, not just one revenue stream, but multiple revenue streams in this non-traditional career that he's created for himself. Please welcome to this week's show, Mr. Roberto Blake. Roberto, what's up, brother? Hey, how's it going, Sean? Thank you so much for having me. Nah, Roberto, it's a long time coming. I thank you for your time. I've, I've, I've been a fan of yours for some time now, like long before I ever got into YouTube, or podcasting, I used to watch your videos and were just really inspired by them. So thanks for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Roberto, this is, you know, YouTube for many people, I come from a different generation, right? We think professionals, you know, they go to an office, they, you know, may have to go to school for, you know, X amount of years, we don't necessarily think that YouTube is uh, an outlet that you can make a real living at. So I wanted to bring you on this week's show because you're doing it. And, you know, how did you even get on this career path? Well, it didn't start out with the intention to ever become a big YouTuber or even a full-time YouTuber per se. It initially was partly an outlet, but also a way of um, educating people and teaching people the way that I learn things. And so it started with teaching people software tutorials for Adobe products because I was using that in my career. I had a background in graphic design advertising. I worked at a company. Later, I worked at an ad agency after working at a web hosting company and so on and so forth. So I've been a web designer. I've been a graphic designer. I've been an advertiser. I've been a marketing manager. I've done these things. I was a freelance photographer. And ultimately, I ended up becoming a full-time freelancer, leaving my corporate life behind. And I remembered that, uh, well, in my case, I couldn't afford to go to a fancy college. I went to community college. I paid out of pocket, you know? Um, and that, that's not from being a bald or anything like that. It's like community college used to be extremely cheap, uh, <laughs> just to, you know, just 18 years ago. It doesn't seem like a long time, but it's a far cry from now. It's like, it's uh, back in the day of less than $2 gas prices. That's, that's a while back now. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I wanted like, look, I got these skills and the thing is my professors were still all about that print life back then. They still had us designing like advertisements as if we were going to be designing ads for newspaper. And I kept insisting that you should be teaching us banner ads. You're kind of wasting our time because this isn't going to be viable in a few years. Oh yeah. What do you know, kid? And everything like that. Ah, well, guess who's right now? Like, so, um, 
I was always ahead of the curve there. Uh, I was really into web design. You know, back in 2002, web design wasn't even considered a real profession. Now it's considered part of a traditional job. If you say, well, you're a web designer, you build websites, people are like, that's valid. That's good money. That's a good salary. Oh, you learned to code. You have a real skill. 2002 wasn't considered legitimate. So it doesn't shock me that YouTube or content creator or streamer doesn't seem legitimate to people. A few years ago, just like what, six years ago, less than 10 years ago, social media marketer, social media manager wasn't considered a legitimate career either. That's right. Businesses live and die by the hand of their social media marketers now and their web designers and their content creators. Like that's the, re- the, 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 world, the new world keeps evolving and everybody who keeps clinging to the world that existed before this is going to lose. That's right. That's it's right. Over. The nerds won. Get <laughs> over it. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's where I come from. It's just the truth. With YouTube, for me, um, I was into video editing and that whole world before YouTube ever existed back in the old online days. Back, like, you remember, like, Real Player and LimeWire and BearShare and, like, stuff like that. The Absolutely. old AOL internet, Angel Fire, that kind of stuff. Like, I was really into that. I learned to code at 13 years old while I was taking care of my younger siblings while my mom was working. We got our first computer from my grandmother. Um, she's uh, since passed away. But, like, that, that, that gift of a computer and the internet – um, more than 25 years ago now, or actually not 25, sorry, excuse me, 23 years ago, something like that, um, was this gateway to skills that I would never otherwise have, to information that I would never otherwise have. And it was the ultimate resource. And it was a major sacrifice for my grandmother who was working a very, you know, modest job. She put it on her credit card. She was um, a nurse. She was a CNA working at a hospital in New York, living um, very modestly. And um, she, she made that sacrifice because she, she didn't understand technology and computers, but she understood how important having an advantage like that would be. And it made the difference. YouTube's been around since what? 06, 08? 05, it was built to establish February 05, acquired by Google in November of 2006, which you could start calling like the, the real initiation or legitimacy of YouTube, but it didn't become a mainstream platform until maybe 2015. Okay. It wasn't a household name. It wasn't something normal people knew about. It was only part of the internet culture mm-hmm. up until about 2015. It became mainstream culture. It, that, that started around 2013 with the articles about the first YouTube millionaires and people now caring about the money. They had just also made the partner program available to everybody so that everybody back then could join and could start earning money right away. As long as you made the $100 payout threshold, you'd get paid, but you could start earning day one, day zero. Now, in 2017, 2018, they revised the partner program, and now there are requirements you have to meet. Mm-hmm. But again, as long as you meet the initial requirements, 
get a thousand subscribers, get 4,000 hours of watch time, et cetera, prove that you're legitimate and that you are acting in good faith. You can put in an application and they'll approve or deny you because now they'll deny people who are making content that might be like if you're making content that, for example, is overtly racist or dangerous or violent or derogatory, then you don't get approved now. Uh, but you see what I'm saying? So like now they have some guardrails in place that didn't exist back in my day um, due to several controversies and due to advertiser concerns. But uh, when, when the floodgates of being able to make money opened up around 2012, 2013, and with the media coverage around people who are making hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars a year on the platform, that's when it started to become mainstream. And when YouTubers became household names, it started right around then. So it's a more recent development than people think, even though the platform is 15 years old. Give me an idea. And we're going to get to monetization later in this interview. Um, so I don't want to get too deep. I want to dig a little deeper into your story. Yeah. <clears throat> I get your background. You have a background in photography, coding, web development. What year did you get into YouTube yourself? And how did those, or did that skill set help you to excel? I started playing with it as early as 2006. That channel no longer exists. And I tried several YouTube ventures with friends of mine. Um, at the time that just didn't work out. A lot of times group projects, uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, that too many you know, chiefs, it doesn't work out. Um, and that in a way discouraged me from pursuing it in any way or a setback. Back then we were trying to be you know, filmmakers and I was very into visual effects and um, special effects and 3D and things like that back then. Even with my limited um, hardware, I was pushing the limit of what I could do with that hardware and software. Um, you know, we wanted to kind of like make Star Wars type stuff. It was, um, it was pretty dope, but it just didn't work out. And eventually what happened was in 2009, I bought um, and saved up for um, a, an HD video camera. Cause back then being able to have 1080 was a big deal when it first happened. So I saved up and I bought the Sony uh, camera. Um, I have a version of it somewhere on one of these shelves, actually. It's like this little tiny thing. It looks like a toy camera today, but it was a big deal. It had a flip out screen so you could see yourself when you record. That's a big deal back then. This is like 2009. And so the first video on my main channel, my Roberta Blake YouTube channel was in 2009. Now, I wouldn't say that's the beginning of me becoming a YouTuber or content creator because I literally only uploaded like four videos a year, <laughs> like <laughs> for a while there. Uh, I didn't start doing YouTube in any serious intentional way. And I didn't have an audience until uh, 2013, July, 2013, when I started making weekly tutorial videos, uh, teaching people design and things like that, and answering questions about um, the career. How do you become a designer? How do you become a freelancer? How do you become a video editor? Um, showing people affordable, cheap camera gear. Cause that's what I could afford. Um, how to work with cheap laptops because that's what I had. So um, very budget-friendly um, things to teach people. And again, I was coming from the position of, look, I don't have a lot, but I figured out how to make a living. I don't have a lot to work with. Most of the things I have cost $500 or less, $300 or less, $200 or less, but I make it work and here's what I do. And 
that I felt mattered and I felt having that information accessible and available and something people could search on and they'd find the answers coming from me in a way that they might understand or relate to me um, was important. So I started doing that. And in the first 11 months, I grew to um, like uh, 10,000 subscribers. I have no idea when I hit my first 1,000. Everyone's like, well, when'd you get your first 100? When'd you get your first 1,000? I have no idea. I had my head down just trying to make something better. I wanted the quality of my work, the quality of my product to be better. So I wasn't worried and looking about growth. I kind of looked up one day and I kind of somewhat mortified to find out I had an audience because <laughs> I didn't, I still didn't think what I had was good enough. And I was like, people are watching this and people are going to judge this. And I also wanted to just make it a better experience for them. And it really pushed me to make things better. And I was always unhappy with my edits. I was always like, could have said that better. Why am I so stiff? Why do I feel bored watching my own video? And I was just so very aggressively critical of my content that I don't think I ever celebrated really my milestones. So... In YouTube, because there's a lot of people who are starting out, uh, people who have not yet reached their first 100 subscribers, people who have not yeah. yet reached their first 1,000. I love that you said that you were not focused on numbers. You were focused on the quality of your videos. How important, because you, you're a coach. Yep. You, you're a speaker. You put out these tutorials. You have been working on a platform seriously since 2013. How important is it that people get the numbers out of their heads? Don't focus on it's, the numbers. Focus everything. on quality. It's everything, but if they listen to and they watch a lot of the famous and very young content creators that are famous, they make everything really about that clout and that acknowledgement and that attention and I think it's a mistake. And I, I come from the perspective of someone who's 36. Those people are bigger and they do bigger numbers than me. But you have to remember that also I have some people who do bigger numbers than me. They're also clients of mine for a reason. Mm -hmm. They have 10 times the numbers. I have 475,000 subscribers now. I have clients who have a million, two million, four million. My biggest client has six million. I have friends with 10 million who still ask me for advice. There's a reason for it. There's always something, no matter what you've achieved and how successful you are, how many numbers you put on the board, there's always a gap in your knowledge. There's always something you don't know. And there's always the possibility that your success may disconnect you from reality. Um, and you have to acknowledge that and have some humility about it. And so when I talk to people, especially young people, it's very hard to break through and reach them um, and let them and get them to ignore the numbers and to focus on the quality of the work. A lot of them end up in traps and they end up um, begging for followers or subscribers, or sometimes they'll try and cheat and buy it because they, they insist that, well, no one will pay attention to me if I don't have some numbers on the board or I don't have big enough numbers. That's their insecurity talking. That's, that's the insecurity talking. And what I tell people is like, you realize that you will always be insecure if you don't earn it for real, for real. And if you make it all about these numbers, you will always be insecure. And if you fake anything, you will always be insecure because you will know damn well you don't deserve it. You'll know Ooh, that you cheated. You'll know, and you'll always have in the back of your head that somebody's going to dig and find out 
and figure it out and expose you, you'll always have in the back of your head, no shortcuts. Come by it earnestly, suffer for your success or don't bother at all. Like come by, like come by it earnestly, get it the right way or not at all. Accept that, sign on for it. Make your, like, I, t- I mean, it's harsh with people, but I tell them, just choose your damn sacrifice and get on with it. You know, I loved it. And I want to put a spotlight on that for a second. There are no shortcuts. We're talking YouTube here, but this applies to life. There are no shortcuts. And even if you choose to cheat and do something that you know you didn't earn, there's always that insecurity and I love that you pointed that out, that one day you're going to be found out. So just put your head down, no matter what industry you're in, no matter what it is you're trying to pursue, put your head down and do the work. It's as simple as that. Roberto, let's stick to first zero to 100, first zero to 1,000 subscribers. Yeah. What's some advice that you would give to someone who's willing to put in the work? Someone who is not trying to cheat the system. What can they be doing when they're doing everything that they know how to do and the numbers are just not reflecting the hard work that they're putting in? Hard work is important, but I think that people are mistaking People mistake effort for value. People get very confused and, they, and effort is not the same thing as value. How hard you work and how hard you try has nothing to do with the consumer. It has nothing to do with the viewer. It has nothing to do with you being entitled to five minutes of their life. It just doesn't. And the other thing is when you have not spent a hundred hours yet of being a video editor, when you have not spent a thousand hours yet of being a video editor, when you have not made your first 100 crappy videos, when you have not suffered through that yet, when you have not got used to being on camera, when you haven't gotten used to doing your outlines or reading your scripts or doing a teleprompter or whatever it is you're doing or riffing off the top of your head, when you have not done that 100 times, 1,000 times, it is still your dress rehearsal and nobody is entitled to an audience for their dress rehearsal and you have to get over it. You are not entitled to a cheering section for your effing practice. You just aren't. As nice as it would be, you are in trial and error mode. You are in practice. You are in dress rehearsal. It ain't opening night yet. Get over it because you are not entitled to five or 10 minutes of someone's life and attention much as you might want it. That You just have to accept that that's not worth their time. And that your effort and your sweat, it hasn't translated to value for those people. And you should respect that because you're the one asking for attention. You're the one asking for five or 10 minutes of their life that they could be spending in the pursuit of their goals, their business, a guarantee of a quality experience, spending time with their husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, their kid. You're taking five, 10 minutes of their life. It better damn well be worth it. And the reality is if you haven't gone through the process yet, to get good and you have no reason 
to believe that you are good when you haven't done it before. None. You wouldn't be at anything else in life. Then expect nothing. Expect nothing. And, and again, remember, stop confusing your effort with what they want in value. So well said. So many gems dropped. Yeah. Well if you said. want an audience, it ain't about you, homie. Well said. You deliver for them. Okay. Sticking with delivering for them, that could be anything, right? Because everybody comes to the table with different qualities. Everybody brings a certain uniqueness to the table. When did you figure out what it was that your audience wanted? And I asked you this because you said you started out with a couple of friends before and you guys were just playing with the platform, didn't really do anything. Those guys didn't take it serious. They dropped off. Here you are. You finally getting to really focusing and putting out a video a week somewhere around 2013. Was it an aha moment for you when you said, hold up, people are actually wanting this particular piece of content that I'm bringing out. Was the audience talking back to you? How'd you even figure yeah. it There were comments and people were asking for things. And at the end of the video, I was asking people, hey, what else do you want to see yet next? What tools do you want me to cover? Uh, is there another thing that I can do for you? Um, what do you still have questions about? What can I do better? Uh, it's just like customer service 101. You know, I, as a kid, I worked at the mall. I was making $6 an hour before I was ever making six figures. And uh, you learn customer service. You learn to ask people questions. I used to sell um, shoes. I used to work at Champ Sports at one point. Uh, I was a cross country and track runner. I was like, well, show me how you run. Like, well, how are your knees? Oh, you, you're in the military. So you have to carry around a 40, 50 pound rucksack. Okay, well, you need some more support. You need this. Oh, well, how are your arches? I would ask questions get context, listen, and then sit there and think, all right, what would make sense for you? What's in your best interest? Not what gets me the biggest commission, what helps you? And I would deliver. And that's customer service 101. One of my frustrations is a lot of people want to skip to just being on the internet and they have this disdain for the idea of ever working for somebody else. They don't want to have that in their track record. They want the sexy story of they went from high school or dropped out of high school or college and became an internet rock star, became a e-commerce guru or entrepreneur extraordinaire. And I, I think that as sexy as a story as that might sound, it's a vulnerability and it's a weakness because I think there's so much value and benefit. They have all this disdain and fear and angst and this judgment. They feel it's so shameful to work a traditional job or a quote unquote, what people call a real job. I don't like that word, by the way. I hate that word, real job. Um, like, so I use traditional job. They have all this disdain for the idea of uh, ever working a traditional job when I think one of the reasons I'm a successful content creator and one of the reasons I can help other content creators be successful and do this full time is because I worked those crappy retail jobs at the mall. I worked and had some positive and negative experiences in a, a corporate job and HR and all that good stuff and everything goes with it. Protocols, SOPs, HR, uh, departments, uh, managers, like, and then got to become a manager. The fact that I worked in advertising and I know how the people who ultimately write YouTubers paychecks work. The fact that I understand how the platform works is because I did SEO. I did web design. I know how Google worked. I could rank number one in Google for the company. So I figured out how to rank YouTube videos. It was my advantage. 
I know and understand processes and systems and customer service and transactions and code. I understand the things that make YouTube YouTube and I understand the things that get people paid and I've done real businesses outside of YouTube and outside of internet. I've done the transactions. I've been a photographer. I know the customer service game. I know about delivering. Um, I've done client services. I've worked as an employee. I've, I understand these very important logistical things and technical things. And I understand the value of systems and structure and support and somebody who bypasses all of that at 17 or 18 years old and just goes onto the internet, whether they make it or not, a lot of times they frankly just think they're more clever than they are. And there's a lot that they're naive about and it leads them to making mistakes. We speaking about, or I hear you speak about teenagers, 17, 18 year old, 15 year olds. Is it easier for them to cut through? Are there any barriers of entry that you found on this platform? Because pretty much anybody on planet Earth, if you can record a video, you can upload it onto YouTube. It's very easy. So people just think, hey, you know, I'll take the easy way out. I'll become a YouTuber. But are there any barriers to entry, you know, based on point, race, creed, color? No. No. At this point, no. At this point, no. Now, I will, because here's what I'll tell you even about that. I'll go a couple of ways. For one thing, someone, uh, let's start with age because it's easy. Someone 25 or 35 has a distinct advantage over someone who's 15, whether they like it or not, whether they believe it or not, because they think the culture of the platform is just so young. When they make the mistake, regardless of what age you are, if people your age are on the internet, they are on YouTube, period. So there's a market for you. Number two, YouTube has 2 billion people. You don't think there's an audience for you? There's 2 billion people globally worldwide logged into this platform that's the people who are logged in every month you don't think there's an audience for you the thing is and why people believe it's saturated and they don't have a chance is they're not willing to admit that well 99% of what's on the platform is garbage it's not quality it's not valuable it's not interesting and it's not specific it's every random jackhole thinking that it's so simple to turn on a camera and buried entry wise it is but to actually make something worthy of people's time and attention not so much there are skill sets, my friend. And here's the thing. It is easier to be successful on YouTube if you're 25 or 35 than if you're 15. And people don't believe me. But the fact is, I have a client who's a small YouTuber with 2,000 subscribers. And he, in terms of ad revenue, I know we're going to talk about monetization um, later, but he's going to be more successful than most people because he made $400 this month off of just 10,000 views, which is abnormal, which is insane because most of these 15 year olds, they know that they're gonna get a dollar for every 1,000 views they get. So if they made 10,000 views, they're gonna get like 10 bucks. If they get a million views, they'll be lucky to get $1,000 off of it. My client is gonna kill it because he's gonna get, if he gets even 100,000 views, not even a million, he will make $4,000. If he got a million views, he'll make $40,000. That's because my client is, um, a self-made millionaire who knows nothing really about 
being good on camera. He knows about real estate. He became a millionaire before he was 30. And so he's 33 and he has experience and he made his money in the last recession. And the thing is, he's not getting a ton of views and he's not going to reach a young audience. He's not going to reach 15-year-old kids who want to watch pranks or watch gaming. He's reaching people with money. So advertisers pay him an absurd CPM rate. They pay him like $40 for every 1,000 views on his videos. And that's why with a million views getting, like not even going viral, that's just across the channel in a month, he will make an absurd amount of money. He will make tens of thousands of dollars per million views. The biggest, most successful, famous YouTubers get paid $500 to $2,000 if they're lucky per million views. So everyone who thinks these YouTubers are balling because they get views, they're balling because they get sponsors because YouTube don't pay that much. It pays what sounds like a lot for a kid. And so you go out to California because you think you want to be famous and you pay that LA rent, my homie, until you pay those LA taxes, my homie, until you have to pay the LA lifestyle. Um, that money don't go too far. What you think is good money, even as a kid, or what you think is good money for anybody is LA poor, okay? $100,000 a year is what we call LA poor. So that's the truth about YouTube money. And I bring that up to say that if you have lived a life and you're 25 or 35, here's the good news. You probably have done something for five to 10 years of your life, enough to be good at it and enough to be um, above average or even excellent at it. And if you're excellent at something and you come to the internet, here's the good news. Most people aren't good at things. Most people are mediocre at things. And when that's the only option people have, they're like, well, I'll choose the, most, the least mediocre of the bunch. But with someone who has skill or knowledge or talent or experience or a credential, here's the thing. If you can come to YouTube and you're 35, 45, and you can say, I'm a self-made millionaire. Let me teach you what I know. You know what the answer is? Yes, please, and thank you. There's no abundance of self-made millionaires who weren't internet famous to become millionaires that were gonna come to the internet. So guess what? Here's the good news. If you're 30, 35, 45, and you can talk about your success, and you can talk about when you came out of the trailer park, the ghetto, or the bottom middle class, or you are a child of divorce, and you can tell your story, and you can say, and here's how I made my first million. People are gonna watch. And you can talk about it. And you don't have to have the fanciest camera. Graham Stephan has 2 million subs now, blew up. He started with an iPhone. And he said to himself for years, I don't have the personality to be a YouTuber. No one would watch me or whatever. But he became a millionaire at 26. He had a story to tell. Not a lot of people can say that. And he was a college dropout, um, like went to college for, I think it was two months or something like that. And said, nope, not for me. And um, child of divorce, didn't have daddy's money. He just grinded real estate. He got his license, sold real estate, bought real estate, got tenants, you know, invested in the stock market, bought up stuff during the last recession, the end, millionaire at 26, right? There's a lot of people that have these success stories that built companies or businesses. There are people who built e-commerce companies in the last recession. There are people who are building Shopify stores now that went from the beginning of this pandemic um, worrying about whether they're going to be able to keep their job or they were doing their job remote from home, said, let me learn Shopify and now have six-figure businesses in the course of a, of, of a summer or, the, or in two quarters. It's amazing. And now they can tell people how they did it and people will listen because it matters and they will be 
massive in five years because they have real world experience and real world accomplishments. It's very rare that if you're between ages 15 and 18, that you've done something of note or become best in class or become a top tier world-class talent or the top 10% at anything. Very rare. That's why big, famous, successful, young YouTubers are very rare. And usually they either have some extraordinary unicorn level of talent or they're just obsessed with YouTube and sacrifice everything else and take massive risk or they have a lot of advantages that the average person doesn't have. And that's why people from like 15 to 25 that happen to blow up and that become famous very young, that's why a lot of them they are already outliers in some aspect, either in talent or in circumstance or in their tenacity. And so if you're not that special unicorn, that's why people have been conditioned to believe and are groomed to believe that YouTube is luck because all they do is measure the last viral success story. That's why they think it's luck. I deal largely in people who come by their success through skill. Roberto, you spoke to, spoke about Graham Stephan. In you said he started with an iPhone. Yep. How important is it to have the best gear, the best production, the best editing? Are those factors that are necessary to success, or does it really come down to value? What value are you bringing to your audience? Half the people that I show YouTube videos on their phone can't tell me what camera it was shot with or whether it was shot with a phone or not. I think audio matters. And I think that, again, the best audio you can is about respecting your viewers. But the phones and the affordable cameras have gotten so good that it doesn't matter. And ultimately, I had what by today's standards is like one of the crappiest cameras by today's standards. That's why I had it at the time. I got to 100,000 subscribers with a camera that today, if you bought it, it's $350. I didn't even have a flip out screen. Some of my videos would drift in and out of focus. I got to 100,000 subscribers on a crappy camera. So when we're seeing people on YouTube- My iPhone's better than the camera I used to shoot with. (laughs) Say that one more time. My current iPhone is better than the camera that got me to 100,000 subscribers. In every way. In every way. I got to 100,000 subscribers with a camera that is crappier than my iPhone. So Mr. Beast got to 200,000 on a broken iPhone 5. He's at 40 million now. He started and got to 200,000 on a broken iPhone 5. You and I spoke offline about Mr. Beast. Yes. For my audience who are not familiar, I, I, you know, that story is so fascinating. It's so yes. inspiring. Can we just take the express route and can you give the audience just an idea of who Mr. Beast is yeah. and why his story is just one that everybody can learn from? And if they keep it up, it's possible. If they stick mm-hmm. with whatever their discipline is, it's possible. Yeah, I can give them the like 90 second version of it. So for about four years ago, back in the day, um, Jimmy Donaldson, who uh, goes by Mr. Beast on YouTube, was a young kid. He was a teenager. 
He lived in Greenville, North Carolina, where he still lives today with his mom, brother, and his um, sister. He was a small YouTuber four years ago with 8,000 subscribers. Today, he has 40 million subscribers. He started out on YouTube making no money, very humble, making even just a dollar a day, and was making videos that nobody watched. In fact, he made 100 videos, and he got less than 1,000 subscribers out of making those videos. In fact, to get to 10,000 subscribers and feel like the beginning of a legit YouTuber that people were starting to care about, he had to make 450 videos. Can you imagine? We talked earlier about all these people working so hard and not feeling like they're getting anywhere. Imagine making 100 videos and not even having 1,000 subscribers, making 450 videos to get to 10,000. That is discipline, consistency, and patience at work. You know, those are my three things, discipline, consistency, patience. And that signs, that's, that's Jimmy all the way. This kid kept at it and at it to the point where all he wanted to be from the time he was young, he watched YouTubers, he watched the success, he watched what they had, and he wanted it desperately. It's the only thing he was ever really passionate about. Jimmy was only ever passionate about two things, YouTube and basketball, and he knew he wasn't good at basketball. <laughs> and so, um, you know, trying to be a top-tier YouTuber is very much like trying to be in the NFL or the NBA or the MLB or the PGA. It, it really is. And what he decided to do was he focused on what he could do as a broke kid. And he just made the best content he can with the little resources. And he put every single dollar, every single dime back into YouTube. He didn't really spend it on anything else. And he just did what he could do. He had nothing. And eventually he figured out and was trying to go viral and he reached a point where his obsession with YouTube, he, he dropped out of college against his mother's wishes. And she said, you got to go to college or you got to get out. And she loved him and she was just trying to you know, be a mom, do tough love and like set him up for success. And he was like, well, this is all I want. So I guess I'm going to have to figure it out. I guess I'm going to have to go. And in the process of that, he did a video that broke him out. He did something that nobody else would do that anyone could have done. And then they'd have this amazing story. He sat there in a video and counted from zero to 100,000. That's the most insane thing that you've ever heard, but it worked. And let, it went let, viral. Let, stop, stop there for a second. Are we just talking no pyro, no background effects, nothing nope. out of no, the ordinary, there. no explosions, just... Nope, just Sitting there with a, a counter because you have to click and just sitting there clicking and counting out loud so that it's recording the clicks and so that there's a counter. Free software does it and it's like, and just recording and running the thing, counting to 100,000. Was this his way, and I'm trying to have a larger conversation here, of getting notice, standing yes. out. Yes. You, you know, all of us can come to the table and think we're great, but if you are not making a conscious effort to be different, no one's gonna notice you. You're just another face in the crowd. Or if you try to copy somebody who's already successful, you're just a knockoff version of them. I'll just get the original. So this guy, he sits there one to 100,000. Yeah. 
What did that video do for his career? It made him. It made him. It made him. It was the beginning of him being able to skyrocket to 50,000 subscribers. And it also was the seed of an idea for him of, I will do stuff and I will personally torture myself just to become famous by doing stuff that anybody could do, but no one would actually go through this. So the next thing he does is he reads the dictionary cover to cover in one sitting. Excuse me? Yeah. He reads the dictionary. What is he doing this on live? Like that might take him a year. No, it doesn't take you a year. That's the thing. He was like, well, how long would this take? And then he did it. And the thing is, YouTube works algorithmically on the concept of how long can you keep people on YouTube? So YouTube started promoting his content and pushing him. And he did other videos that weren't as intensive and long, but he became known for these over-the-top videos and craziness. And as he started making money, he could invest the money in, okay, I had to do this crazy stuff because it's all you can do when you're broke is just basically torture yourself for views. Um, so when he got a little bit of money, he was like, great, I can put this into ideas I've had in my head that I could never execute because I had no resources because now he could do resources. He could um, figure out things. Um, I think one of his videos was microwaving a microwave because <laughs> then he had some money and I don't recommend doing things like that. And eventually now when he does stuff like that, there's a pyrotechnics crew because he has money now. But you see, my point is Jimmy Donaldson, Mr. Beast became known for outlandish and absurd content and um, his ideas, weird stuff that no one would do this. Anyone could have thought of this. No one did though. And no one bothered to have the guts to do it. And so that is part of the brand. And then he evolved over and over. And then he got a, a significant enough following to where you get brand deals and sponsors in YouTube. And then he got an offer from a brand because he was like, I, I've been giving away a little bit of money and helping people and it's dope and I'd love to do this on a thing. So a brand called Quid offered him $5,000 and he said, double it. I'm going to give it all to a homeless person. They're like, no, you won't. And they was like, yeah, just give me the money. Watch me. And so the brand gave him the money up front, $10,000 and he films it and everything like that, him and his friends. And he gives it to a homeless person video explodes. The brand gets so many clicks, gets so much attention. The video goes viral. It gets media coverage. It gets news coverage. And this is the beginning. And then he starts to become known for this. And then he starts doing more of these things where brands give him money and he does something for friends and family. He did a thing where he gave his mom, you know, the person who didn't initially think this was all a good idea. He ends up giving his mom $10,000. Eventually, he gets so much fame and notoriety that he's able to change people's lives with these really great giveaways, but also these outlandish contests of what people do for stuff. He does stuff where it's like, well, um, whatever you can carry out of the grocery store in your two hands, I'll pay for it. And he starts doing these interesting videos, you know? Um, and eventually he even gets to a point to where he gets this massively viral video where he gives his mom, because a brand gave him the money, he gives his mom $100,000. I, I like that he did, before he was able to give away money, he did things, I guess using your words, that anybody could do. Just nobody was willing to do it. Mm -hmm. And that is the way you set yourself apart.
when standing in the midst of a crowd. Yes. And I think it's applicable to any industry. Yes, it absolutely is. Why should people notice you? Why should people pay attention to you? And especially, Damon John has a book called The Power of Broke. Yes, I have it, yeah. Yes, highly recommend that, that you go out there, purchase it, and read it. But that is exactly the principles of his book. When you are broke, you must get creative. You must use things that you have access to, which are, in most circumstances, not money. It's creativity. You know, it's funny. No multi-billion, multi-trillion dollar company has never organically been able to build a, a successful like social media uh, platform. It's always been kids in garages, basements, and dorm rooms. Facebook, college kids in dorm rooms. Google was um, Sergey and um, it was Sergey Brin and I'm forgetting the other. Yeah, I forget guy. his partner. Everybody knows Sergey, but got your point. I used, to, I used to have that memorized. But anyway, they developed it in Susan Wojcicki's garage, you know? Um, and so when you're there, like same, same Larry Page, it was Facebook. Larry Page. It was Sergey Brin and Larry Page. I don't know why I forgot that. But yeah, they developed it. The YouTube, the, the trio of kids who used to work at PayPal who uh, developed the YouTube, they, um, they did it like hanging out. You know, they did it from their like, you know, laptops. They like... All of these things are, MySpace was built in college. Like all of these social media platforms never happen from all these people with an abundance of resources. It's people who have more, little more than their ideas and just the bare minimum of means to execute on them. And that's it. And uh, the resources are just a matter of scale at that point. But all of these things come from people's um, lack of resources and abundance of imagination and their desire to manifest things. And everyone, yet everyone is convinced that everything will change if they just had more resources. They are not doing the best they can with what they have with where they are, which is, uh, I always quote my friend Amy Landino on that. She takes that quote from um, Teddy Roosevelt. Do the best you can with what you have where you are. And I take that to heart. I think that is the, the broke experience. I think that all of us who start with nothing need to realize that we're enough. <laughs> like you, you got convinced you weren't enough. <laughs> That's right. That is so right. That is so right. You two now 15 years old. Yep. Is it too late? Nope. To get in on the action. No, there's plenty of things that aren't saturated and there's plenty of things that don't have representation in them. There's plenty of things to where you'll be the first female to do X or the biggest female to do X or uh, like there's almost no one who can name. I know there are more than 20 of them, but no one can name. Even among female tech YouTube creators, they struggle to name 10 of their own comrades. There are 10 of their own colleagues. It is hard for a female tech creator uh, uh, to name 10 or more female tech content creators because the beauty niche is saturated obviously with women. So guess what? 
if you're a man who does makeup and you could be a male makeup artist, you could be um, somebody from Hollywood as a man that's in the makeup scene that does even VFX makeups for specifically, for example, or makeup prosthetics and stuff like that, like they do in Star Wars. You could be like, you could be a dude and it, you would be a breakout and a standout in the makeup scene, especially if you're a person of color. If you're a woman, and especially if you're a woman of color, you would be a breakout in the tech scene or in the filmmaker scene or in the special effects genre specifically. There's all these things where you're not represented, but there's a desire and an audience for it, especially young girls. There's um, a young woman. She's, um, I believe um, her heritage is that I want to say that she's um, black and Filipino specifically Ethiopian and Filipino. Her name is um, Janelle Iliana. And she is known virally as the van life girl. My younger sisters are super into her stuff because she's a 20-something-year-old girl who lives out of her van with her pet snake, Alfredo, and um, travels in this van and lives in this van. And she has a super interesting story, but they were like, oh, um, because my sisters are really into tiny house living and eco. And also she has a very hippie vibe and she dresses like really interesting. And so they were like really into her style and her attitude. And they knew exactly, my younger sisters knew exactly who this girl was. And when I asked young female creators, they know exactly who this girl is. And the criticism and the skepticism was always like, uh, I hate to say it, it was always like these 30 and 40 year old white dudes. It's like, how did she go viral? YouTube must have, she must be an industry plant. This can't be real. She must be an actress. This must be all some like network behind her or nothing like that. No, she, she blew up because van life, I looked at Google Trends, van life was starting to begin to peak. Her first video was a 20 plus minute video that is about uh, a tour of her retro custom fitted van and about her being a single female lone traveler doing van life. Now in the van life niche, what you'll notice it's it's usually almost exclusively all dudes or all couples. And because it's so expensive to get into, they're almost always late twenties, early thirties, or even early forties. The majority of YouTube is young people between middle school and college age. So a 19, 20 year old, very cute, quirky, attractive girl that can appeal to young women and especially young women of color. Cause by the way, in the van life niche, almost no people of color and almost no women of color. And again, almost all couples, you see where I'm going here, outsider, outlier, unique, underserved audience, no representation, no, and so it's interesting. And she has a unique angle. She's also traveling and she has a pet. So now, even if you're not into van life or this or that, like there are people, she has an albino snake. It's a weird, quirky, different pet. There's a lot of different crossover verticals that she could have appeal with. I understand why some people might be like, this is the perfect marketing bait. It's like, no, there are just some people that naturally would have a very strong brand. It's not, it, it happens guys, sorry. There are some unicorns out there. And, and um, you know, this is a perfect storm because it was the, the right timing in the market when it happened. And what, and so um, people are like, wow, her first video got like a couple of million views and her second video is the ultimate YouTube clickbait. This is what happens when people grow up watching YouTube. Her second video was about how she showers while living in a van. <laughs> and I hate to say it. Now, she's a very cute, attractive girl. So 
instant thirst traps happen right there just because there's a lot of lonely dudes out there just gonna say it. And so out of curiosity, but then they end up watching a really entertaining and really interesting video that also is about, because the other thing with this van life and her situation is she did it also to be mad frugal to like, cause she lives in LA, no more LA rent. You realize that right now that's a very interesting and attractive way. Man, if I live in a van, how much is it? And then I pay no rent. Oh, that's a real interesting for people who don't have money. That's very interesting. The idea that this, your van and the way you tricked it out looks better than my apartment or something to some people are like, oh, my apartment, my, oh, your van, your van's better than my apartment. Your van's better than my door room. I'm paying all this money. Like, ah, what the, maybe I need to rethink my life. And a lot, and then a lot of people were like, damn, this is actually really interesting and appealing. And what could I live like that? And how much would it cost? And she started making those videos and she blew up. She also got a lot of shout outs because remember, you got all these big people like me talking about this newcomer, word of mouth. This is an opportunity. Most people wish to go viral. They do nothing that deserves to go viral. They do nothing that's an outlier and exceptional, nothing that piques our curiosity, nothing that we can dissect, pretend we're Batman, be internet detective and look into the, like, how does that work? No, there's nothing there. And, and that's fine. And most people are not gonna make good videos like this girl did their first couple of tries. Now, some people who are obsessed with YouTube long enough, watch it their whole lives, they have a better shot in some ways of being able to make a really, really good video. Or again, if you teach yourself and you do some tutorials and you practice and then you release your video, maybe your first video is really good. I know a guy who, he was in a situation where he retired, he sold his tech company and he moved over to China and he spent six months to make his first YouTube video because he spent six months learning how to shoot and edit. But he also built an iPhone from scratch in China. This is before lockdown. This is like a couple of years ago. He built an iPhone and he would do all these weird quirky videos. He built an iPhone. When iPhone took out the headphone jack, he like figured out and he made a video where I'm like, I'm going to drill a custom headphone jack into my iPhone and show you how I did it. He made his own slot machine where that he can win every time. He does all these weird quirky tech videos, but he had the money, resources, and access to be able to go to China and get all these weird things and put them together. Uh, Janelle, she could do something that most 20 year olds couldn't do. She had, and in her story, she had a falling out with her parents. They didn't save up money for college. They lied to her her whole life. She had a falling out with them, moves out of home at 17, 18, um, crashes with a friend on a couch, gets a job, works, saves up all her money because she was supposed to be the first person in her family to go to college and she wanted to do that. And eventually, because of LA rent, she's like, I wonder what would be a hack to live as cheap as possible. She buys a van used for $10,000, spends and invests another $10,000 of all the money that she saved and retrofits it out and makes trades and customizes this van, then lives in this van for a year and is an Instagrammer a year before starting YouTube and said, I always wanted to start a YouTube channel. Boom. How many people get to technically invest a year of their life and $20,000 of their life savings into the beginning of what's going to make them relevant. See, most people want to be relevant and they want to be famous. It's like, well, you didn't put a year of prep or two years of prep into it. You don't have this interesting backstory based on some hardship in your life. And you didn't throw maybe $20,000 into the foundation of being special and being unique. Now, did you? <laughs> yeah, I got a question for you. You know, I'm listening to you and you are dropping so much quality information. 
But if anyone wants to get into YouTube, they want to take advantage of this platform, is it necessary for them to have a niche? Because you hear that again and again and again. You must niche down. You have I don't to- think people know what a niche is. They think a niche is just picking a topic or a category. I think that's the problem where they see a limitation. Here's how they should think of niche. Who are you making content for and why should they care? The end. That's your niche. <laughs> who, who are you here to show up and serve? Because you can't please everybody. That's a, that's a fool's errand. So get over it. You ain't going to make everybody happen. That's a fool's errand. I mean, I'm not trying to get political here, but you know what's really smart about Donald Trump, despite all of his many, 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 many faults? He isn't there for everybody. He's not here for all of the country. He's not here to help everybody. He's speaking to one target core audience, his base, and nobody else. Right. That's right. His base and nobody else. He will demonize, alienate, insult, and aggravate anybody that's not his base. The end. He sticks to a target market, a demographic, and he's done. He ain't trying to be for everybody. He ain't trying to be doing everything. If you're going to hate the man, hate the man, but learn the lesson, damn it. He's a masterclass in marketing. He's a walking masterclass in marketing for all of his other faults. I will never take away credit where credit's due. You can be an absolute douchebag. I will find something to pat you on the head for. Before we got to wrap this thing up, it's a couple of places I have to go. Let's do it. You know, and I'm, and I'm a marketing guy, so I really wanted to go deeper into what you just said, but I do know there's a couple of things that I have to get in this interview. All right, let's do it. Monetization, because yes. everybody's going to want to know that. How many views, how many subscribers, how much traffic do you need before you can monetize on YouTube? You need 4,000 hours of watch time, regardless of views, and you need 1,000 subscribers to apply to the monetization program if you're accepted into the monetization program. Then advertiser rates vary based on a lot of variables. They can watch my YouTube videos on this. I've done everything you need to know and what nobody tells you about monetization. That video has like 30,000 views. I've done things where I break down the rates. It's like, I've got plenty of content on YouTube monetization straight up. If you're doing entertainment content, you're going to need millions of views every single month. If you want to make a living on YouTube, if you're going to be an entertainer, um, especially if you specifically decide that you aren't going to sell to your audience because you, for whatever reason, don't feel you can do that. Or maybe your audience doesn't have money and you know that that's fine. But demographics determine everything. If you go for a young audience, great. You better go viral because you're going to be broke. Otherwise, if you go for an older, more affluent audience, you do real estate, you do personal finance, you do e-commerce, you do marketing, you do entrepreneurship, you do software, you do tech, then it's only you need hundreds of thousands of views to make it per month, okay? That's just the bottom line because you need to be able to, the only reason you make money off of ads is that your content is either a good vehicle for marketing and selling something or it's not. It's not about paying you for your effort. You want that, get a job. <laughs> you want to be paid and you want effort and labor to translate to value, get a job. If you can risk doing hard work and working 15 hours on a YouTube video to make nothing for the chance that it might go somewhere later, for the chance that one person who matters enough to offer you something might see it, then you can be a YouTuber. But if you can't handle that, or if it's not financially advisable for that, it's gonna take you a minute. It's gonna take you a minute 
it takes most people three to five years to make any ROI financially on YouTube. It takes people three to five years if they're lucky. If they're lucky. And by lucky, I mean if they're disciplined, consistent, and patient. Talk to me That's about it. affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing is one of the faster ways to make money using the traffic of any online platform, whether it's YouTube, podcasting, or blogging, because then you're in commission sales, which I really like. That's where I make a lot of my money um, in terms of YouTube. Now it's starting to even out just a little bit for me because I do um, do six figures on my coaching business. Um, I think recently we crossed six figures um, consistently in total affiliate revenue. I think we were there last year, but I just um, forgot to add one or two um, platforms when I was tallying the numbers because mm-hmm. um, it was at like 95,000. And I was like, oh wait, that's right. We had this other one. And, I, and so it's 100,000 there. It's definitely that this year. Um, biggest affiliate is 6,000 plus a month consistently. Um, I have recurring brand deals in place, ink contracts I've inked now to where it's over $100,000 a year in brand deals going forward. So that gives you just a little bit of, an, a, a, of a ballpark there. But I seven years plus to do all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Don't get it twisted. Um, affiliate marketing is good because one, if you do software as a service, there's monthly recurring commissions. You do enough affiliate marketing, people work a nine to five job, they get two checks a month. You do enough affiliate marketing, you could be getting five, six, seven checks a month between uh, the ad revenue, the affiliate revenue, um, you could be selling merchandise. So you can get multiple payouts a month. If you have your own direct to consumer business or if you're getting donations from your fans, then you could get payouts day to day, week to week from that through like PayPal and stuff like that. So it's a, it becomes a cash flow thing very quickly if you monetize correctly by having different diverse revenue streams time to YouTube. So long term, I feel it can be better, much better to build an online brand or business than traditional um, employment because you're relying on a lot of things going right, to be honest, and you could be fired for no good reason at any time. And that stable job security, that stable income you thought so highly of, it's one income stream and it's two checks a month. How is that more stable than decentralizing and having five or six different things that all could scale and grow, by the way, that are decentralized, that where you're getting a check on week one, you gain two checks. Week two, you might be getting three checks. Week three, you're getting another check. Week four, you got another two. You see what I'm saying? It's now you have diverse revenue streams spread out. You have multiple checks and they're decentralized, you see. And some of that can be, well, oh, well, it's not the same thing every month. It, well, if it gets big enough, it can be. It can be. I know that, okay, my biggest affiliate partner, all right, that's going to be five to 6,000 every single month. One of my larger brand deals, I know that like, okay, that's like, that was a, uh, you know, 60,000 for the year. So that's 5k a month consistently. Great. That's like, I know, I know that if I hit certain numbers with my um, YouTube videos, I know, okay, cool. I hit 350,000 views. Great. That's $3,500 for me a month. Now my numbers are abnormal there because I'm in the business niche. So I get paid higher, mm-hmm. you know, a gamer is going to get like nothing on that. So you see what I'm saying? It's the, the more time you put in and invest in it, just like stocks, just like real estate, the more compound interest you set up, the more diversity you set up, you set up these different income sources that keep feeding you. For me, um, like if someone gets a rental property, 
they're probably, you know a little bit about this. You understand real estate. When someone gets a rental property, usually what are they making off of their rentals after they pay the mortgage on it? What are they making like $600 a month per rental? Basically, yeah. You need, so- you need usually, um, unless you're super high end, you need like six to 10 units to really be living comfortable, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, it, it's a numbers game, right? You, the more units you have, the more revenue you have coming in. You have to throw money at that though. When it comes to building out online ecosystems, I don't need money, I need time. And if I throw enough time at it to build up these traffic sources, I just have this funnel. And the thing is, when you look at my smaller affiliates, my smaller affiliates pay me the same as somebody's um, rental property, but, in, but I didn't have to drop $10,000, $20,000 down. I just had to put in some time. Gotcha. And see, that's the thing. People won't put in the time to get the same thing that somebody with money has that can buy an asset. You won't take the time to build one. I didn't have the ability to buy assets, so I built them. I just put in the time. I gave up TV. I gave up Netflix. I gave up my hobbies. When I started having to blow off my friends and say, nah, I can't do this That when you guys are doing this because it costs money. Call me when you're doing that thing that's free or come over to the house and let's go into like, you know, or let's go to the, the corner store if we're going to get some Jack Daniels. Why are we going to pay and go to the bar and pay the gate and do the this and that and the upsells and everything like that? No, I'm trying to save all my money and I want to save some time. I don't want to do that. Like call me when it's free, like call me when spending time with you is free. You know what I'm saying? And I lost friends over it. I made my sacrifices. I made my damn sacrifices and I got on with it. And the reality is it's what took me from being broke to being um, a boss. So, boom. Speaking of putting in time, I think I know the answer to this question that I'm about to ask you. Why do so many YouTubers fail? Why? There are millions and tens of millions of channels out there. But most are not successful. Most are not even active. Why do so many YouTubers fail? Well, a lot of them quit too soon. You remember the story three feet from gold, right? Absolutely. Three more feet, you would have struck gold. You sold cheap, you quit, blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a great anecdote. It's the same thing with a lot of people. A lot of YouTubers will tell you, wow, I almost quit right before I blew up. A lot of them will tell you that. Me, I didn't blow up. My thing was gradual. My thing is like, my version of putting in time is like, it's not the sexy, oh, you got in at Microsoft when it was $5 or something like that. It's like, mine is the unsexy index fund that just keeps giving and giving and giving, right? My content doesn't get mad views. I don't go viral. It's all search friendly. It's all steady, steady, steady. So a lot of YouTubers, why do most YouTubers fail? Most of them are young and impatient and they want to be their heroes instead of being themselves. And they're just a cheap knockoff and they offer a generic value, nothing unique, nothing special, nothing best in class. That's why most people fail at it because they, they did not have the patience to become best in class. It's fine if you don't start with the talented investing class. The, the biggest YouTubers, Mr. Beast himself, he made trash content for his first couple hundred videos. 
PewDiePie, 100 million subscribers, the biggest YouTuber. He started from Sweden. He did 100 videos to get to 2,500 subscribers. So he was slightly better off than Mr. Beast. And he started around like um, 2012 or something like that. He's been at this eight years. Um, he didn't make quality content at the start, but he gave it everything he had at the time and kept growing with the content. The people Yeah, one, who, one of my favorite YouTubers. Uh, I love seeing his old uh marquez right marquez there you go mkbhd 12 million strong and growing on his subscriber count his early videos weren't special but he kept going poor marquez did 100 videos to get 78 subscribers that's persistence so people most people quit youtube before they make their first 100 crappy videos they have no experience they have no ability to edit a good video they have no idea what sounds good what looks good they don't even know who they are as people half the time let alone what they need to be doing with themselves. So they quit because they haven't figured themselves out, yet they expect to figure YouTube out and be good at that. They also have this expectation that they should have an audience just for trying. Nope, sorry, you got to deliver. Effort is not value. Effort is not always value. So they don't have the respect and humility. Like the reason that people fail on YouTube is they lack the discipline to become good at something. They lack the consistency to hold out when results are not immediate and evident and to um, do quality and grow over time slowly. They want that sexy thing and they're impatient. They're impatient. They're so impatient and frustrated then they'd rather quit than rest. They'd rather quit than take a break, reevaluate, reaffirm, and really figure out where they're going wrong or ask questions, educate themselves, or just look at what the audience actually wants. So many YouTubers, they have videos where they got more views than they did subscribers, and it never occurred to them because they want subscribers so badly. It never occurred to them to look at what videos got them the most traction, look at what videos got them the most subscribers, or figure out, you know, I have this many views and this many people subscribed. You know what, if I just keep making videos, if I'm consistent, eventually if I can just get this many views, I'll have this many subscribers because I figured out my ratio and it's usually 1%. It's usually just like sales and marketing, it's 1% conversion rate, 1%. And they never figured that out. And that's why I think some of my education content is starting to pop off is because I'm breaking it down into realism for them because uh, unlike what some critics will tell you, I don't sell people the YouTube dream. Unless by the dream, you mean I tell them to show up, suffer, make a hundred crappy videos, eat crap for three to five years to get nothing, and maybe you have a shot, homie. And by sell, you mean give away 1,400 videos of free content. And I don't just tell them how to grow on YouTube. I tell people, maybe you're not going to be a YouTuber right away. So you need money right now. YouTube ain't going to pay you because you're not getting views. Go out and freelance. Go take that same video editing skill and get somebody to pay you. Use your content as a demo reel. Oh, you have this camera and you got these skills? Go out to that local small business where they don't know how this stuff works, but they know they need it, and go ahead, and if they have a crappy ad somewhere, go to make one better for them and get paid. Go out and everyone who wants to be an Instagram model, become their photographer. Do whatever it takes. You, 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 they, they got 60 bucks, it's a two hour shoot. Congratulations, you're making $30 an hour, don't complain hustle. And um, I'm real about that. I'm real about that. I think there are infinitely better, faster ways to make money online and offline than YouTube. YouTube's the best game in town to grow an online brand, in my opinion, if you don't have money to throw. So um, 
followed probably by Instagram and TikTok. But uh, until TikTok gets banned or like hobbled by whatever executive order. Uh, But you see, my point is people fail because they lack any self-awareness. They fail because they don't meet the market where it is. And they fail because they have lofty expectations that doesn't respect where they are right now and what they have right now and what they can do right now. Can you talk to me? Common, I guess, logic would tell us the more that you upload, the better your chances are of getting discovered and noticed and gaining an audience. Is that accurate in terms of- Only if you're not uploading for the sake of uploading. If you're uploading and you're intentional about the uploads and you're looking at the data or you're even just looking at the quality of your content and saying, I don't like this, I can do better next time and you're using it. That's the only reason I did it that way. I I did quantity to get to quality because I'm a traditional artist. I know that I picked up a camera. All right, these weren't good. Keep taking photos. Thousand photos later, oh, this starts to look decent now. That's the only way. I was a traditional artist. I drew. It's like, ah, this one sucked. This one sucked. This one sucked. All right, 20, 20 balled up pieces of paper later. I can live with this. Mm-hmm. That's how it is. That's how it is. If you want to be a traditional animator, you had to draw 30 individual single drawings to get one second of animation. You know what that is? Discipline, consistency, patience. It's really the only magic formula there is for success. It's really that discipline. Can you show up and can you endure and can you suffer what other people won't suffer? Like Mr. Beast counting to a hundred thousand. That's tremendous mental fortitude and discipline. Can you keep going even when results aren't immediately evident? And can you be consistent and dedicated and make a commitment regardless of the circumstances? That's what consistency is. It ain't about it being convenient. And can you be patient? How long can you do that? How long can you do that? How long can you ride the wave of that discipline? How long can you be consistent? How long? How long can you hold out? Can you hold your breath longer than the other guy or gal? Discipline, consistency, patience. That's really all it is. So in YouTube speak, here's the formula to success on YouTube. Create value for the viewer first. I don't care about quality or quantity. If I'm uninterested in a video, I don't care about the topic. I don't care about the thing. I'm out. I will never see how what quality it is because I don't care about surfboards. I don't care. So I'm out. I'm going to watch this video about drones. or I'm going to watch this video about real estate or I'm going to watch this video about Yu-Gi-Oh or I'm going to watch this video about Cardi B. I'm going to watch something I care about. I'm going to watch this video about Timberland shoes. I'm going to watch something I care about and not the thing that you made because you didn't make something I cared about. I'm going to watch something about Star Wars. Like, you know, sorry. And that's just how it is. So value for the viewer first. And value is whatever the viewer cares about, is interested in, invested in, or is curious about is what they perceive value to be. Not what you think is valuable because you put so much heart and soul and hard work into it. That ain't got nothing to do with me. That ain't got nothing to do with me and getting five minutes of my day. Nothing. Okay? So value first. Then quality is about creating the best experience possible for your viewer. I'm going to listen to it with my headphones. It better not suck. Like, so make the audio good video, make it clear and not distracting. Show me that you got good lighting. You know, background doesn't have to be great. It doesn't have to be perfect. But like, if you're going to shoot in your bedroom, at least make your damn bed like Christ, like, so bare minimums here. 
Okay. Yeah. You can shoot on your phone. Just make it not suck. Don't make it shaky cam. Figure it out. You know, um, the editing doesn't have to be perfect, but do not sit there and make spastic editing that gets on my nerves. If some, something either adds to the story and serves the story that you're telling, or it doesn't, if it doesn't serve the story, cut it the hell out. If it will enhance the context and the value of the story, add it in. And that's, and that's that. So that's all you really have to do when it comes to that. And then consistency. You knock it out of the ball. What you you knock it out of the park once? Who gives a shit, right? But if you are going to be consistent and show up, you ain't got to be perfect. If you're just making something that is acceptable and is enjoyable, that's enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. Stop letting perfection uh, be the enemy of good. It's poison. Perfection is poison. Just have a purpose and intent, and have some value there. Have the acceptable threshold of quality, and be consistent. You make a commitment to me. You show up for me. Why I can show up for you? Then you don't then I, I'm out. Why, why bother? So that's the thing. And consistency is also consistency in tone and expectations. You set my expectations, you hype me up, don't let me down. Like, so you have to put your, your audience first. And the reason most people fail is because they're too selfish. You know, I love what you're saying because I know we're speaking YouTube, but this is so applicable in any industry, in any area of life. That's my secret. I'm not a YouTube help channel at all. There you go. <laughs> That's then, my secret. You know, if, if somebody's listening to this on podcast form or watching this on video, I don't care what it is, what your business practice is, what your discipline is, what industry you're in. Please rewind everything that Roberto is saying because it applies if you want to be successful. Before we close out, let's talk mindset. How can people avoid the trap, especially in a world of YouTube, where you can't help but look at everyone else's views? And, it, you know, they're, they're, they're crushing it. On a minimum, they're getting 10,000 views per video. So it makes you feel a little inadequate. And all of the things that you're saying, show up, be consistent, keep putting out that content. Can you help people to just get out of their own head when looking at someone else? Stop and looking. Saying the grass Stop is Stop looking. Greener. Stop looking. Blinders on, head down. In a horse race, they put blinders on a horse so it can't see what else is going on. It just barrels straight ahead, running its own race at its own pace. That's it. You put the blinders on, that's the discipline part. The discipline is the discipline for a healthy mindset comes down to putting those blinders on and saying, I'm head down, I'm in the work. You want to put numbers on the board? Cool. Here's the number you put on the board. How much content are you going to consistently make? How many videos are you going to show up for your people for? You want to, you want to make this your career? You want to make this a job? Then make it about clocking in, homie. Make it about clocking in. And so it ain't about, you know what the number I'm proudest of? It's not I love that I've helped and served hundreds of thousands of people. I love knowing that it's almost half a million people. That's really dope. Um, and the, the trophy helps. But you know what's really dope? Knowing that I've made, shot, edited, and produced by myself without outsourcing it to a team yet, 
um, that part because I help. I have people to help with my coaching. I just brought in an editor because I've stopped being crazy. I can always stand on these stages all over the world and say that I have shot, edited, done the SEO for marketing, optimized, and made 1,400 plus YouTube videos and 3,000 live streams over the last seven to eight years. Do not dare tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Do not dare question my work ethic because I, my body count in terms of my results and the number of sheer videos I've made will bury you any day of the week. There are top tier creators who don't have the um, body count in terms of the number of videos and you can't, and it's not a quality quantity thing on that. It's like, no, I have done the work. I have the experience and I have the data points and I have, um, you can never question my work ethic. You can never question me knowing my way around a camera, knowing my way around editing software, knowing my way around YouTube platform because I have over 1,000 plus data points on the recorded and edited videos and across all the live streaming platforms. I've done 3,000 live streams because there was a point where I was a daily live streamer. So you cannot challenge me on seven to eight years of video production, editing, and live streaming knowledge and try to undermine me or make me insecure. And that's the number I'm most proud of because you cannot argue with that. It is objective. You can debate your subjective point of view of the quality of my content to your heart's content, which is really hard to do because I also have really good gear at this point as you can. And, and you can debate the value of it, but you know what you can't debate? You can't debate results. So where people stopped with me, a lot of that was the volume of my body of work and my consistency is oh, wow, and you went daily on YouTube for like two and a half years? That's discipline. I'm like, respect. I like any other criticism of you, fine. But like, all right, your work ethic. I bow to the work ethic. That's what everyone ends up having to tell me. When it's like, ha ha, your views. Until I was like, look how much I get paid for my views. They're like, you get paid 10 times as much for like a fraction of my views? Well, well all right, no more criticism. What are you doing different? Okay, let's talk. There, so- Put on your blinders. Put on your blinders. You want to worry about numbers? First of all, stop looking at people's numbers because you don't know the story behind those numbers. Again, you don't know if somebody um, had the advantage of, well, I'm a kid, so after school is over, I can put three times as much time into it because you have a family or you have kids or you have a day job. I'm doing this after school. That person has an advantage that you don't. You might have the advantage of experience. They have the advantage of more free time than you. They've got more grinding to do. They've got more time to research. They've got more time to learn. They might even be more used to the technology and more malleable to it. They might have done so much research because maybe they've spent their whole life watching YouTube, whereas you've had to work for a living. So you can't compare your numbers because you can't compare your lifestyle and circumstances and come out even. It's not possible. So that's what staying in your lane would really look like. You don't know whether that person had help. You don't know if they hired a coach like me. You don't know if they had an investor. You don't know if their parents bankrolled them. You don't know if their husband or wife bankrolled them. You don't know. Hell, you don't know if they bought their views or subs. You don't know. So there's no point wasting time contemplating it and comparing because that's time taking away from just getting the damn work done. Put your blinders on and do the damn thing. That's it. I love it. Roberto, you have been, like, you're powerful, brother. You are powerful. I'm sitting on the other end of this, and I love having these interviews where I learn, where I am inspired, where I get something out of it 
you're everything that I thought that this interview would be, buddy. And I'm 100% going to have you back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. People are looking for you. Where can they find you? So they can find me at Roberto Blake in social media. Uh, please follow me on Instagram. I post their daily motivational content in my Instagram stories. You can ask me questions publicly in Twitter at Roberto Blake. And you can check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Roberto Blake too. And if you ever want to work with me as a content creator, uh, check out what we offer over at awesomecreatoracademy.com. Roberto, you are the man. I have followed you for many years, and I, I love that we had the opportunity to have this conversation. We're going to be having a lot more. I look forward to working with you, and I look forward to having you back. You are a true power move maker. Continued blessings, peace, and love to you. Thanks so much, Sean. What's up guys? Thanks for sticking with me to the end of the video. Truly appreciate you. If you like anything you heard here today, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. And if you know anybody that can benefit from this message, feel free to share. Peace and love.